Welcome to the podcast of New Life Church. We hope that the messages, topics, and discussions that you find here will encourage and challenge you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, when Pastor Nathaniel asked me to minister to you tonight, uh, there was something that just kept rolling over in my soul that I wanted to deliver. And if you are in your home, your living room, wherever you may be, I just want to invite you right now to grab your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to go to verse 3 and I'm going to read through verse 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. It says, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. We're the house is what it's saying here. And uh, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. I want to minister to you all tonight, um, something prophetic that I've felt uh, last time I was in California, actually, and I want to title it this, The Last House on Time Street. Um, at the very beginning of the Bible, God begins construction. In fact, when you read it in the original Hebrew language, you're going to find construction verbs all throughout Genesis. Obviously, he's building the world. Um, but when you get to mankind, those construction verbs continue on into the making of what would be in his image. So it is not just limited to uh, hard resources like stone and trees and ground and things like that. It was focusing also on us as humanity. And it's showing that humans were a type of house, even in the Hebrew language. And he would build this house here in this precious garden that was so heavenly at that time where man and God were in relationship. And this would be the beginning of a series of houses that he would later build. These houses would be the place where he would come and dwell in relationship with his people. The Lord dwelled in the realm of eternity and there was no construct of time where God dwells outside of uh, this this space that we call time. He was living in an eternal realm. It's just simply a place without time. And God was living there. So in the first four days of this building project, God began to pour the concrete upon which would, we would enter into this neighborhood where he would start these series of houses. As the concrete would be affectionately called time. It was as if God, when he stepped out of eternity and began to build this house, he poured the road that we would all drive on and he called it time. This would be the road that we would get on to even go into the neighborhood to visit these houses. He then begins building his very first house in the neighborhood of the universe on Time Street. In fact, Genesis 2 verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So Eden was the, the entire neighborhood and then the garden was a house within that neighborhood. And it says, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God built a house in Eden and gave the key to mankind to work it and to maintain it. This was godly work. Even in this heavenly place, there was work that was involved in maintaining a house. 
It was uh, according to Genesis 2.15, God tells him, he said, I want you to work and keep this, this area that I'm trusting you with. Because God wants to see how we're going to manage the house that he's placed us in, because that will determine how much more of Eden you and I can inherit. But right now in this story, so far, Adam and Eve were trusted with a garden, simply with a house. This place was a perfect custom built home whose designer and builder was God. It had not one, but it had four custom swimming pools. This was an amazing house. This was obviously a house that was better than what you would see Chip and Joanna Gaines make. This was a perfect home. It had custom tile work of gold, bedellium, and onyx stones inlaid within this house. It had an endlessly stocked fridge in the form of fruit trees. Eden even had a mountaintop view, according to Ezekiel 28, and even had a waterfall that was flowing through their house. Unfortunately, though, this beautiful house uh, was not maintained because we can see that they allowed an animal into their home. And this animal that they were supposed to have dominion over uh, this was an infestation worse than termites. They allowed this animal to come into their house and this animal would ultimately push them out of the home that was designed for them. This infesta infestation caused one of the worst home flips in history because they sold all of that, the four swimming pools, the custom tower, the unlimitedly stocked fridge. They sold all of that for one piece of fruit. Now, thankfully, their designer and builder graciously had more than one floor model blueprints because God, he's always going to factor into his equation um, a, a, an opportunity to restore us because he was banking on us to be what we are and that is human. That's what Psalms tells us that he's considered our frame and he knows that we're but dust. So God factored grace and a plan into the equation from the beginning. God, I think it's wonderful that the object that the animal would use to get man away from God would be a tree. And I think it's amazing that God would use the very same thing to continually get man back because God did not have just one blueprint. He had multiple blueprints and he was going to follow that floor model. So God begins construction of a second home that he would have built on Time Street. This time he calls a contractor and names him Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to build a house for me. So in Exodus 19, he gives Moses the blueprints on the tabernacle. It's incredible that when you read in Exodus 19, when Moses goes up to that mountain, it's actually taking place on the day of Shavuot before or Pentecost, before Pentecost was even a thing. And in Exodus 19, he goes up on a mountain where fire had fallen and he gets the blueprints to another house and he gets a, a two tablets of the law. And all of this is important as we continue through the Bible. Now Moses immediately goes to work building not a beautiful garden this time. He builds a mobile home because, hey, God's not too good to live in a mobile home. So God has him build this tiny house, this mobile home that they can move from place to place. And though it wasn't quite as extravagant as the garden, God was more concerned with his neighbors than he was an outlandish house. He tells Moses, he says, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell with you. This was always the heartbeat of God all the way back in the garden. God wanted a house so that he could dwell with us. It may not have been a beautiful home. It may not have been an extravagant home, but God was mostly concerned that he was there with us. That was the whole point of the house. So 
you see this mobile home coming up and it carries through some of the patterns of the first home in the garden. You can even see on that mercy seat, you would see the angelic beings that were in the garden. You can take a step out a little bit and you can see that on the golden candlestick, there would it looked like a tree. It literally looked like one of the trees that had uh, almond buds on it. And you can begin to see this imagery. And then this time they had a smaller pool outside in the courts. God was still carrying through all of that stuff. And it was a micro Eden, if you will. This was a mobile home that can go from place to place. This miniature garden that was mobile would sustain them during the wilderness. Thank God that it was mobile. Thank God that it wasn't locked into one place because things that get locked in uh, will keep you in your wilderness. But a mobile home gets you from the wilderness to a promised land. This is absolutely crucial that you catch that aspect right there. God did not want a locked in home. That would be saved for later. Right now, there was a need for a home to be mobile. God then tells Moses to put furniture into this home as well, not just have an empty vessel, but furnish it. So he, after the furniture was put into the home, he gave the, the priest instructions on how to come into this home without getting it all dirty. You had to visit the altar. You had to go from the altar to the labor of water and wash yourself. You had to take your shoes off and beat away the dust because nothing from the natural realm was allowed into the supernatural realm. Then you had to change your clothes. The priest had to put on the breastplate. He had to put on the hat, which said holiness unto God, literally inscribed upon the, the front of that hat that he would wear. He, you had to come in. Uh, when you went in there, you couldn't come in looking like out there. Then God told them to keep the lights on day and night by lighting the golden candlesticks. This was all crucial. And you'll notice in the Bible that it tells us at the very beginning in Genesis that this home was actually positioned west. And when mankind fell out of the home, they went towards the east. Why is that so significant? And why does the Bible give us this geography? Because when you look at the tabernacle, you will see that the Holy of Holies was positioned west. You would be literally walking back home when you went into that most holy place. God also gave them a table to put bread on and you could eat in the presence of God. He said, I also want a custom chair that I will sit in. Make me a piece of furniture where I can sit. I don't want to stand in this house. I want to rest in this house. So God doesn't, he doesn't shop at Macy's. He shops at Mercy's. And so God had a mercy seat put into his house. But a lot like the first house, the garden, this house also would be sold for a very cheap price. We see, um, just like the first house, we see that there were some people that didn't quite work and keep this house, just like Adam and Eve didn't quite work and keep the house in the garden. At the point where the house is finally starting to uh, lose its splendor is when Hophni and Phinehas is in charge of it. The Bible calls them worthless men. And unfortunately, they sold this beautiful house and the, the chair that God sat on that he bought at Mercy's was stolen by the Philistines because Hophni and Phinehas were not taking care of the house. They were not working and keeping it. They sold this house for their own carnal pleasures. I hope that it was worth it. Thankfully though, David was able to get their chair back by worshiping. He would get that chair from mercies back to the house by worshiping. 
and he finally gets it back home and all the people rejoice. And David wanted to build a stationary home, an extravagant home, but this was not what God had in store for him. God would allow another house, a third house on Time Street to be built. Now with the mercy seat back in the possession of the Israelites, David's son Solomon expands that humble mobile home on Time Street when he went into a seven year building program and he turned it into an enormous 2,700 square foot home. In fact, you can read a little bit of it right here in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3. This is Solomon. He says, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages. I want you to look right here at verse 6. I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say, for you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. Notice that the wisest king in all of the Old Testament hired, he went to the world and hired them to build a house for God. This is important. This house would be subcontracted out to the Sidonians and they would take these stones, they would pull them out of dark places and then they would bring them above the surface and they would cut these stones and all the stones that were cut together would be put together next to each other because they were cut on the same plane. And these stones would fit together like Lego pieces. It was a prefabricated home. And the wisest king, I cannot stress this enough, the wisest king in all the Old Testament thought it not robbery to allow the world to cut what God would later fall on. Look at verse 17, same chapter. It says, And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones. In Hebrew, uh, when you notice repeated patterns. They're slowing the text down to a crawl because they're making us uh, focus on what's going on. The focus of this passage is the stone. Look at this one more time. And the king, the wisest king in all the Old Testament, commanded them to quarry, to pull out. Quarry was to pull them out of a dark place. Large stones, costly stones, and cut stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gibelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. The wisest king in all the Old Testament went to the world and hired them to cut these stones for a glorious temple. It is crucial that you get this right here because this is the prophetic word that God gave me is that God came and dwelled inside of what was first cut by the world. This is so pivotal. If you look at this, you will, you will see some things. In fact, when you read in the text, it says that the glory of God fell onto that tabernacle. And when it did, it pushed everybody out because the presence of God was so intense. God fell on a house made of stones that were cut by the world. 
But in the very next verse, we see the wise Solomon makes a very carnal mistake as he decided that his house was more important than the house that he would build for God. You can see that he built himself an 11,250 square foot home. All of this for himself. God, you only get 2,700 square feet. And since I've done all that work and since I've invested all that in you, this is what I feel I owe myself. I owe myself an 11,250 square foot home. This 2,700 foot uh, house on Time Street would later be destroyed. Um, we see God is already working here because he wanted a home that would be designed by him, one that wouldn't be built with human hands. And Solomon's temple was ultimately completely destroyed. That 2,700 square foot that was cut by the world that would be completely leveled and demolished because God has more blueprints. Over 70 years approximately, we see that uh, there's no house on Time Street at this point in the Bible. There is no place where God's presence comes and dwells inside of. There's no house of God. God has still got his eyes on man. He has still got his attention focused towards man, but there is no house. We then begin to see Nehemiah comes. He begins to construct the walls yet again. And then we see that his uh, comrade Ezra comes in and preaches revival. And then something happens. This is where the Old Testament throws us for a loop. All of this work in this building project. And it says that the elders looked and they said, it's not like it used to be when the glory fell. There was something that was taking place. And then the Old Testament just ends right there. And we were left longing. We built this house. Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls. Ezra preached revival. And all the people were coming back to the law. But the glory of God just didn't fall like it used to. And there's this disappointment that you and I are left with when we finish the Old Testament. There is there no house? Will there ever be a house? God was getting ready to build his house on Time Street. And this is where I want to focus your attention. There was a man who came and built a physical temple. His name was Herod. He began to construct. But this time, it was not to the specifications of God. He did not follow blueprints. He was introducing pieces on different things. He would build towers that were focused on Greek gods. Herod was building a mixed house with parts of the Old Testament and then parts of Greek culture intertwined into it. And it's amongst this context where there's a blended house of different cultures where the house shows up on Time Street. God in all his majesty, the architect of the houses that I just mentioned, the creator of all that he is, leaves eternity where he is sitting. And he pulls into the neighborhood, driving upon the street of time that he poured all the way in Genesis. And he comes amongst us as the man Jesus. In fact, John 1.14 says that he came and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek means tabernacled. And we see what we were left longing for in the Old Testament. We're finally seeing the reality of it in the New Testament as the house himself comes and walks on the street of time that he poured in Genesis. This great house was not made by the hands of humans. He even visits Herod's extravagant house and he looks through it and he sees 
the towers that were built to the Greek gods. He sees that there was the, the porticos. He sees all that. And he walks through and he's looking at the house, the builder, the architect, all of it in one comes walking and looking at the feeble attempt at a house here on earth. And look what he says in John chapter two, verse 14 through 20. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, and he overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written. Listen, this is what they remember. They were recounting the Old Testament prophecies. And this is what they remembered when they saw Jesus flipping over those tables in Herod's feeble attempt at a home. They remember the scripture, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That prophetic word was about Jesus. He would have zeal for a house. Verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple. How in the world are you going to raise it up in three days? Follow the narrative. After surveying the stone house of Herod, flipping over tables, doing a little bit of remodeling, showing him the zeal that he has for a real house, Jesus began breaking ground on Time Street for an unmovable, unshakable, beautifully extravagant, strong house that nothing will ever shake or move again. Look at Luke 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 37 says, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Pause. This was the, the week of Passover. Remember when Moses got the blueprints for his house? It was 50 days after they had passed over the Red Sea and that he was getting ready to go up that mountain on the day of Pentecost. Here is Passover. 50 days before blueprints are given. 50 days before Passover, Jesus comes riding into Bethany on a donkey. Verse 38, this is what they were crying out. This is what they were worshiping. He said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, but he answered, said to them, I tell you that if these keep silence, the stones would immediately cry out. I'm going to zone in on the word stone in the Greek. Jesus did not use the Greek word petros, which is stone, which is a random pebble just sitting out in the driveway. He used the Greek word lithos, which is a the Greek word for a brick. It was the word that would be, um, they would immediately be mentally thinking of somebody cultivating or taking a stone from the quarry, cutting it and preparing it for the construction of a home. Jesus in this context is pointing to the disciples who are worshiping and he calls them stones, calls them lithos, cut stones pulled from a quarry. What was he doing right here? He was looking at the house of Israel comprised of the Pharisees and he said, if you don't praise me, then I have a whole pile of rocks over here, a pile of bricks that I will build another house with because I will have a home, because zeal for the house has eaten me up. I will 
have a house. So you have to ask yourself the question, Pharisees, do you want to be a brick in that house or do you want me to move on? This is pivotal. This is so important that we grasp this. This king, wiser than Solomon, entered the neighborhood of time to build a home. And unlike Solomon, who spent 13 years on his house, Jesus didn't even have anywhere to lay his head because he was going to build an extravagant home, a home that's builders were not by man, a home that man's hands didn't have anything to do with. God himself would build this house and he would be so focused on it that he wouldn't even invest in a home of his own. And we're seeing the opposite of Solomon. We're seeing the perfect wise king. But if that wise king in the Old Testament thought it not robbery to hand the stones over to worldly builders to cut those stones for what the glory would later fall on, what then do we expect from a wiser king? All of this we begin to see fold, unfolding before our eyes. Sure enough, Jesus conquered time by going to the cross and coming back to life after three days and we see the first stone of that house drops onto the earth. He would be called the chief cornerstone. Why do you think Jesus called himself the stone? In fact, if you look at the Hebrew word for stone, it is a, it's a compound word comprised of two separate words. The, the first or the suffix or the prefix rather is the word uh, Abba for father. The prefix is ben for son. When you take those two words and put them together, it becomes the Hebrew word evan, which is stone. When Jesus called himself the stone, he was telling the Pharisees, I am the father and I am the son, and you are going to reject me because of that. I will be the stone which the builders rejected. He would later tell Peter, he said, and you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. All of this we're supposed to see in the text. And then finally, after he conquers time, 50 days later, just like in Exodus 19, where 3,000 people died, by the way, in Exodus 24 because of the sin that they were participating in, on this day, the fire falls yet again on 120 people in an upper room. And then later that afternoon, 3,000 bricks were added into the construction of a glorious home that was not made by any human hands. The builder, the designer was God. He would be the one and he would be that first cornerstone. And every stone that follows the death, his burial, his resurrection, as well as his life, get added to this house. You and I are not the temple in and of ourselves. You and I are bricks that comprise this enormous global temple that is going across the world today. You and I are not the house alone. You and I are the house when we are together. And the greatest thing that I am seeing that is flooding our world right now is the church is being under the pressure of division. We have got division over racial issues. There's gonna come, and I failed this prophetically, there's gonna come division over the vaccine for COVID for those who take it and those who don't. There's gonna be division amongst all that stuff. There's gonna be people in churches that are aggravated with their neighbor because they got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated. There's gonna be a ton of division. And what the devil's trying to do is he's trying to separate bricks 
Paul said it this way, let there be no schisms in the body. The mortar that holds us together is the blood of Christ. That's the mold or that's the mortar that's holding the bricks together. We need to grasp each other and hold each other tight because God is going to have a glorious house. And the things that hold bricks together is the love between us. We must have this. Watch what takes place. 3,000 people live in the New Testament where 3,000 people died in the Old. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, coming to him, this is Peter, the one upon whom the rock, the, the rock upon whom the church was built. By the way, the gates of hell cannot prevail against this church. And I want to pull all this out and pull it together in a moment. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, it says, coming to him as to a living stone. There's that word. That's the Greek word lithos yet again. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up. Listen to this, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have seen from the past that the wisest king anointed with wisdom from God thought it not robbery to hire the world to cut the stones that the glory of God would fall on. The wiser king than he, our King Jesus, is not thinking it robbery to allow the world to cut the stones that will comprise this end time harvest. You and I are the stones and the, the church world is confused right now. Why would God allow this? Why is this taking place? Why is this governor saying that? Why is this president doing this? All of these questions coming up and we're developing a mindset. God, you have forsaken me. No, God is allowing the world to cut on what his glory would later fall on. Remember, this is a mobile home though. This, we are going to be planted in heaven at the rapture and we will be steadfast. We will be sure. We will be that brick and mortar home that is planted in heaven. Right now, we are a mobile home because this world is our wilderness and God is allowing the world to cut the bricks. And God doesn't do that because he's mean. He's doing that because that's what his glory falls on. This is why he looks at his disciples in Acts 1 and 8. And he says, you shall be witnesses. That word witness in Greek is martis, where we get our Greek word, our English word martyr. He said, you are going to be cut for my name's sake. After all, was I not cut for yours? We are going to be cut. And I don't want this to scare you. I'm not saying any of this to make you fearful. I am telling you this to prepare you and to let you know that God's glory is going to fall in such an intense manner that it's going to push and there's going to be an intense falling on people that maintain their faith while the world is cutting. When the world cuts, we can expect a glorious house. While I was in California and where this message was born from, is when my plane landed in San Francisco, I could immediately feel something stirring within me. I felt the prophetic gift inside of me start stirring. I drove uh, to my hotel that evening, getting ready to preach over the weekend. And while I was at my hotel and I was seeking God for what he would have me minister while I was there in California, I had this vision and I didn't know what to do with it then. God began to develop it over the weeks to come. 
But God gave me a vision that I want to share with you and I want to help you and where this message came from and what I feel is relevant for the future of the church. As I was in my hotel room praying, I saw bricks falling from heaven, hundreds of bricks just being stacked and it was building a wall in front of me. And I saw that these were cut stones. I saw that these had been collected and cut and then stacked in place. And when the wall was finished, I saw written on the wall, the Acts 2 church. Then all of a sudden, right down the left side, that, that wall, by the way, the Acts 2 church, it was the Eastern wall. That would be the entrance of the tabernacle. That was the entryway is what I saw. I, I could see it clear in my mind that that was the Eastern wall. That wall turned a corner and I saw another wall going up and I saw bricks being added just like the first wall. And I saw the writing on the wall when it was finished. It said the great awakening. And immediately I knew all of the history was coming through to my mind. Then I saw a turning yet again and I saw another wall going up and it was coming off this Eastern wall. It had a left and right wall at this point. Bricks were being added. And I looked up at the top and there were still yet a few bricks left to be added for that wall to be done. And when I looked on the wall, this is what it said. It said Azusa Street Revival. God began to speak to me. He said, you're feeling all of this right now and you're seeing this because you are in the state where this wall was built. And I looked up at the top and I saw the last remaining few bricks being added to finish this wall out. And God spoke to me. He said, I am about to complete that wall and three walls of my church will have been built. That wall is being finished as old saints of God are being called home. We have seen some heroes of the faith leave this earth and go up in the their, their, their calling unto God, receiving their reward. They were the final bricks that were being added. And then all of a sudden I saw coming from both left and right, I saw the Western wall going up, the wall where the Holy of Holies would fall, where God's presence would dwell. I saw brick by brick being added. And I saw a first row of bricks and God spoke to me and he said, that right there is the 40s and the 30-year-olds. He said, they have become the foundation for the last wall to finish my last house that I will ever build on Time Street. And God spoke to me, he said, this is the last house I will build and I am on the fourth and final wall and it will be done. Right now, 40s and 30-year-olds are the foundation for this final wall. And I saw bricks being added and I saw generations the next generation coming up on our shoulders and they were being stacked. If you fall in that age bracket of 30 to 40s, you are the foundation for this final wall. This is the pressure that you're feeling. The reason why you're feeling so much intense pressure and you're feeling such intense burden is you're starting to feel the weight that this last wall is on us. And this is what God told me. He said, do you realize that hell could not prevail against the wall when it was standing alone? That Acts 2 wall, when it was just a few bricks and it was just a, a, the entrance wall, hell couldn't prevail against that. And he said, how much stronger do you think it was when I started adding bricks from the Great Awakening? And how much stronger did it get when I added the other wall from the Azusa Street Revival? And this is what God told me. He said, this fourth and final wall will make the house stronger than it has ever been. God spoke to me and he said, you tell the church, I know they're confused. I know they're frustrated. I know they're fearful. I know they're worried. He told me, he said, but you tell everywhere you preach that the house is stronger than it has ever been. Because when you add that fourth and final wall, if hell couldn't move a wall standing alone, there's not a chance that hell can move four walls tied together. God told me the prophetic word is going to happen. 
is that everything that was that was birthed in each one of those walls will all be poured into that final wall. And this is how God showed it to me. He said the zeal, the, the desire, no matter the cost to build that first wall will be in that fourth wall. The passion, the revival, the prayer, the intercession that was in the great awakening, that will be in that fourth and final wall. The gifts of the spirit and the, the zeal, the passion and the desire that was collected from the other two walls in this third wall, it will also be in that fourth wall. And God said, but in this fourth wall, I will also anoint them with the creative ability to do it the way they've been designed to do it. We are getting ready to see the strongest house, the strongest church we have ever seen in the history of our world. I know that things look look strange right now. I know there's questions of, are we going to be able to assemble together? That's not the question. The church was never in a building to begin with. God is showing us how powerful the church is, how powerful these bricks are without a building. I hope that we get to come together. I hope that we get to worship in, in a building together. But if we don't, that doesn't mean the church is weak. That doesn't mean that the church has ceased. The church is stronger than it has ever been. The common denominator with those other three walls is there was great pressure on all of those walls. There was intense uh, pressure and a little bit of persecution. And thing, a lot of persecution that was going on with each of these. We can expect no less because the stones are being cut right now for what he's getting ready to build in this last hour. I will leave you um, with this word. At the beginning, right when COVID started coming into North America, I was in prayer here in my office and I was seeking God and God showed me a vision that has shaken me. I saw a flat map and I knew it was the United States and I saw Jesus in 3D walking on top of the map. And I saw tables just periodically set all over this map. And one by one, I saw the Lord flipping over each of these tables and there was stuff on top of the tables and it was just scattered all over the place. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, all of this that you're feeling, all the things that are going on, I'm the one causing all of this. He said, don't you think for one second that a political party, that a media uh, outlet is causing all this confusion, all not all this confusion, but all this upheaval. He said, I'm the one allowing all of this. And he said, woe to those who go and try to pick up all of this stuff that I'm scattering. He said, I'm cleaning my house out and I'm going to make sure that this is the best house it could possibly be. All of this stuff that we're feeling, he said, don't go back to that because if you go back and try to clean up what he is stirring up, this is what he told me. He said, they're going to let me know that they don't want the end time harvest. We're going to see an end time harvest and we may not get to calculate it. We may not get to count how many people are coming into the kingdom. We may not get to post 40 or 50 got the Holy Ghost because it's going to happen so fast. It's going to cross the nominal lines. It's going to cross over into multiple uh, venues and areas. This is going to be an unstoppable force that we could not do if we tried. We are just participants in what God is getting ready to do. Do not fret. Do not worry. The house is stronger than it's ever been. He's tying it together. The pressure that you're feeling, it's just the fact that you are the foundation on this fourth and final wall upon which all of these generational stones are going to get ready to be stacked upon. But here's the thing. We're the foundation at ground level. There is a stone underneath the ground below us that is holding all of this up. 
It is the chief cornerstone. If you go to Israel today and you look at that, that wall behind the Holy of Holies, the wailing wall where they go and pray, it is still standing to this day, even though Rome came against it. When you go underneath that, underneath the ground level, you will find a 40 foot long stone that weighs the equivalent to, I'm wanting to say like a dozen jumbo jets. Prime Minister Netanyahu did a tour and he brought some people underground and he said, you see this stone right here? This is the reason, this stone right here is the reason why Rome could not tear this wall down. He said they couldn't defeat the stone. You and I are built upon something stronger than the governments. You and I are built upon something stronger than a pandemic. You and I are built upon Christ. We are his bride. We are made from, we are bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. My Hebrew teacher recently told me this. He said, Aaron, he said, why is it that, that woman can bear pain and birthing, but man cannot bear that pain? And I said, I have no idea. And he told me, he said, the reason is, is because man is made from dust, but woman is made from bone. She is strong. She can bear the pain. You and I are the bride of Christ. We are made from his bone. There was no bone broken in his body because it would be grafted into us. And that would, would be what you and I would be constructed from. You and I are strong. You and I thrive in this situation. We are getting ready to see the greatest harvest we have ever seen. We're not even going to see the full magnitude of it. We may not get to calculate it. And that's going to make us uncomfortable and going to make us feel like we're failing. But if we can have faith that the Bible said it's going to be, it's going to be. So we, going into 2021, expect a powerful outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I'll leave you with Philippians 3, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That word conformed is the Greek word simorphizo. That was a word that carpenters used when they were building houses. They would cut a piece of timber at a 45 degree plane and then they would cut another one at a 45 degree plane and that's how they would come to the corners. Houses are always cut in the corners so that they fit. And Paul is saying that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being cut the way he was cut on Calvary. He was cut and when I'm cut, we fit together. Do you know what you and I are getting in this season? We're getting closer to God. We're finally fitting with him. We're finally, we're choosing this, even though it's not easy. If you continue to be a Christian in the days to come, you'll have to make some hard decisions. There's gonna be a cost to pay for this. Whereas in times past, being a Christian in the, in the United States, big deal, nobody persecuted you for that. Now we're gonna to get to finally show God that we absolutely love him. First Kings six, verse seven. Here's where it all ends right here. When the house was built, it was with stone. This is Solomon's house. It was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor ax nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. The world cut the stones and then they delivered it by ship. And when it got to the promised land, they just stacked the stones that were cut by the world. There is coming a day when we're raptured out of here that we will never feel again the chiseling. We will never feel again the hammering. 
we are going to be brought up into heaven and we're going to be stacked. We're going to be steadfast, sure, unmovable. There will be no wind of doctrine tossing us to and fro. We will be planted in our heavenly Jerusalem as a house prepared in the wilderness. I leave you with that and I want you to be encouraged and I want you to pursue vision and I want you to be a part of that last wall that God's going to build on Time Street and I want you to seek God and to passionately pursue him and say, God, how have you designed me in this last hour to propagate the gospel and to execute ministry? There are people that are listening to this that are each unique. They each have individual giftings that God wants to employ into his kingdom. There are going to be people watching this will never preach, but you are a brick in the house that are going to do something so creative. Somebody watching this will film videos, take photos. They will create graphics. They will do something in the kingdom. And God is getting ready to show us the creativity of this fourth and final wall. Step into your calling, make it sure, and then walk into it. No matter what you see going on around you, the house is stronger than it has ever been.